0: Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our Christmas series, which is in honor of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Yet Christmas was never intended to be a season, but rather a moment of transformation. In this series, we look at the Grinches of the first Christmas and how we can avoid the same traps that can steal Christmas from our lives. So the Alaska Department of Game Fish and Parks share that while both male and female reindeer grow their antlers in the summertime, it's the male reindeer that drop their antlers in late November and mid-December. The female reindeer, however, retain them until after they give birth in the spring, which means according to every story depicting Santa Claus's reindeer, every single one of them have to be female. Which makes sense when you think about it, right? It would only be a group of women who would be able to drag an overweight man in a red suit around the world in one night and not get lost. We've been in a series called Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas and we're looking at Christmas in an entirely different way using the background of this wonderful Christmas classic story and we're seeing it through the eyes of the Grinches and while my prayer would be for you that you would recognize that there's a little bit of a Grinch in all of us and how Christmas is not just a season to celebrate it's a point of transformation. And when you get it, it'll last 365 days a year. And last week we looked at the Grinchiest of all Grinches from the very first Christmas, and that was King Herod. And I encourage you to go back and watch it on YouTube. You can go to our website, yankton.church, and watch it there as well. But today, to continue on, we're going to look at our second Grinch. And the interesting thing about this Grinch is this Grinch doesn't actually exist in scripture. In fact, we've made up this Grinch. Now, if you're familiar with the Christmas narrative, you might think, wait a minute, no it's not. But we'll take a look at it and show you this Grinch doesn't actually exist in scripture. How many of you have heard the phrase, the book was better than the movie? You ever heard that before? Okay. And what you're saying when you say that is, when a story is taken from a narrative and put on film or in screen or in theater, there's are certain, we'll say, creative licenses that are taken to kind of get across the message that you can't, you maybe could do with the written word, but you couldn't do in a visual. And there are things that don't really part of the story. And so that's what actually happened in today's Grinch's story. If, if you've seen a Christmas play, if you've seen a Christmas movie, you maybe have seen this Grinch added to the story. But I would contend, again, he doesn't actually exist. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 2. And and let's just say that's the best way to find out about God's Word is to actually read God's Word. And and again, another one of my prayers for this series is that you would actually go Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 1 and 2, and actually read it for yourself so you can understand the Christmas narrative in a way you've probably never done before. So, Luke 2, I'm beginning in the first verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, you've heard me say this before. When you're reading the Bible and you come across a name you don't know how to pronounce, just say it with confidence. No one else knows how to say it either, okay? Now, why does Luke include that in the narrative? couple different reasons. The first one is Caesar Augustus was an actual person. Caesar Augustus actually issued a decree that a census should be taken, and this was verified at that time when that happened. This is an actual historical event, not only for the people who are first reading Luke's gospel, but for us today. It's as if Luke is saying, fact check me. This is the greatest part about the Christmas narrative, and I don't want you to miss this, church. This is an actual event. That actually happened and what we're celebrating it's not a fairy tale it's true and facts like this can help us point to it throughout history Luke goes on in verse 4 and this is a very familiar passage if you're familiar with the Christmas narrative so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David we talked about that last week because he belonged to the house and the line of David he went there to register mary who was being pledged to marry to him and was expecting a child and while they were there the time came for the baby to be born she gave birth to her firstborn a son she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them now you may have heard in the past translations you may have heard they said no room in the end here's what we know about mary and joseph They had traveled a long way. They needed a place to stay, and they couldn't find one. So they slept with some animals. Think about this. The savior of the world, the king of kings, the lord of lords, was born in a lowly barn surrounded by animals. Now, where am I going with this? Our Grinch for this week is what we commonly refer to as The innkeeper, (laughs) right? The guy, you've seen him in every Christmas pageant, every Christmas movie that comes out and says, there's no room in the inn. Sometimes he's a a rude person. Sometimes he's kind of a bumbling person, but he always has the same line, right? There's no room. So Mary and Joseph have to sleep in the stable with the animals. But here's what I want you to understand. There's no innkeeper. (laughs) If you read it, it's not in there. The person's not there. So why do you think that we've created the innkeeper? And here's what I don't want you to miss, church. It's because there's no room. And and we think about that famous Christmas song, right? Joy to the world. Let every heart prepare him room. Here's what I want you to understand. We don't need to make room for Jesus. We need to give him our room. God's not interested in finding a guest house. He wants to be the owner of of your house and I would say the reason why we put the innkeeper in the Christmas narrative is because we don't want Jesus to have a room in our life in fact we don't want to even give him our lives at all and that's why there's a controversy over Christmas I know there's a lot of people that say um Christmas you ever seen Xmas right putting the taking the X out of Christmas you know what I would say I would contend it's not about Xmas I would say what I see today Is there's a lot of Christ-less Christmas. Christmas is all about Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came 2,000 years ago. We don't need to make him room. We don't need to prepare him room. We need to give him the room. And he is going to return. And those who are sold out to him will be able to celebrate that with ever. And that's why Christmas is not a holiday we prepare for. It's a moment that changes everything. There's a story of by Pat Cook who shares about a little Jewish lady named Mrs. Rosenberg who many years ago was stranded one night and was looking for a hotel room. She went up to the desk clerk at a particular hotel, and he could tell that she didn't he didn't really want to give her a room for the night. He said, Sorry, ma'am, no more room. The hotel's full. But your sign says vacancy, she replied. Well, Yes, it does, ma'am, but I just need to tell you, we don't admit you're kind. You'll have to try to find one on the other side of town. Well, Mrs. Rosenberg stiffened and replied, I'll have you know, young man, I converted to Christianity many years ago. Now, the desk clerk was a little skeptical and thought, Oh, yeah, okay, well, let me give you a little test. How was Jesus born? Well, he was born to the Virgin Mary in a little town named Bethlehem. The desk clerk said, Oh, ah, yeah, you're right. Tell me a little bit more. She said, Well, he was born in a, in a barn. And the desk clerk said, That's right, but you know why he was born in the barn? And Mrs. Rosenberg smiled, looked around, and made sure everybody could hear as loudly as she said. Because a jerk like you in a place like this wouldn't give a Jewish lady like me a room for the night. Now, I think sometimes we might get a little pompous, and I think we might get a little self-righteous. We might say Boy, if I would have known that Mary was carrying the Savior of the world, I would have made room for them. But I think we, we can excuse the innkeeper back then who didn't know what was going to happen. And we might justify ourselves, but I think sometimes we don't make room for Jesus either. Matthew twenty five thirty four says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say because you've memorized scripture. Because you were so good. Oh my goodness, you gave anything beyond imagine. Do you know why Jesus says you can come and you can inherit the creation of the world? Look at what verse 35 says. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in church why do we do things like we did for Webster Elementary why, why do we bless the teachers and the staff there in that way because that's what Jesus called us to do and if we're really not making room for Jesus this Christmas season if we want to give Jesus the room that's the kind of thing that we need to do because here's the alternative and Jesus goes on in verse 45 he says very truly I tell you Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. So today, I want to ask you one more time. Are you making room for Jesus? Or does he own the room? Now, if you're struggling with that, I just want to let you know, there's three reasons why we don't have room for Jesus. These are three things that I see over and over again. Here's the first one. We're overbooked. We're overbooked. Now, I'm not talking about rooms in our house. I mean, room on our calendar. I heard the story recently of a mom who was running around ferociously from store to store on Christmas Eve, trying to get the last-minute Christmas shopping done. Anybody there still? Suddenly, she realized she'd lost track of her little three-year-old son. In a panic, she started to retrace her steps and found him standing with his little nose pressed flatly against a frosty window. Gazing at a manger scene, when he heard his mother call his name, he shouted, "Look, mommy, it's baby Jesus!" The stressed-out mom grabbed his arm, jerked him away, and said, "Let's go. We don't have time for that. Do we have time for Jesus? Do we do we make time for Jesus, or do we give him the room?" And I've heard it said, "Oh, pastor, you know, I'd really love to serve serve the Lord, but I just don't have time." Between raising kids, working a 40 hour week job, going to soccer practice, soccer games, my hobbies, working out in the gym, blogging, baking, booking, keeping up with Netflix, Facebook, YouTube, and by the time Sunday rolls around, it's the only day I have for myself to go out to the lake and relax and enjoy. You know, Pastor, it just seems we don't have time for the things we'd really like to do. Now, I don't say that to hurt your feelings. I say it because you will make time for what matters most in your life. Show me your calendar and I will show you your priorities. So again, if we looked at your calendar, is Jesus the priority? See, I made a decision that I'm gonna make Jesus the owner of my room. When Elaine and I moved here to Yankton, we didn't do it for a career move. We didn't do it for our family benefit. We did it for one reason, and that's because we want to tell as many people about the love of Jesus as I possibly can. That's why my focus is always about how can I advance God's kingdom with every job that I've had, with our marriage, with our kids. See, in in our, our lives, we've decided God owns the room. I don't show up here on Sunday because expected. I don't broadcast from my office when I'm positive with COVID-19 because of you. I do it because God owns the room. He, he's, he's the number one thing, and I always make him a priority. Eric Hofer said it this way, the feeling of being heard is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is on the contrary born out of a vague fear that we are wasting our lives. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. we become the busiest and least content people in the entire world. And I see that all the time. See, when you give God the room, not, you don't make room for God. When you just give him the room, it's amazing when you find how much time you have. Because when you make God the focus, you can't waste time. Now, am I against hobbies and watching TV and recreation? Absolutely not. We should all have those things in our lives. I completely agree. But they always come after. God always needs to be the first priority in our life. Look at what Isaiah 5.8 says. What sorrow for you who buy up a house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone alone in the land our lives are not about us when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ it's always about giving him everything so we can be a blessing to those around us are you overbooked? if so let's take time this Christmas to make sure we're not here's the second reason why we don't have room for Jesus is because we overlook him we overlook him I heard it said the day after Thanksgiving we're off to a good start this Christmas season sales are up 5.3%. I want you to think about that statement for a second. How sad is it that we judge the level of Christmas by how well sales are doing? And you might say, well, it's because Christmas is so commercial. I, I don't blame commercialism. I blame God's people. George Barna did a survey 88% 88% of the people who surveyed said they were followers of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. We're not, we're not talking people in the world. We're talking people in God's church who say, I'm committed. I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is what he found. 37% of those said that the birth of Jesus is the most important aspect of Christmas. Only 37% of followers of Jesus said the birth of Jesus is, is the most important aspect of Christmas. Church, something's broken there. And it's even lower among 18 to 34-year-olds. Only 26% says Jesus is the most important aspect of Christmas. God's people sometimes would rather seek the mall instead of a manger. We follow the sails instead of a star. We worship gifts instead of God. And I sure wish that one nation under God would find a church packed on Sunday morning, just like they do on Black Friday? And and in our world today, what would it look like if we had more people tuning in right now than we're worried about what's going on on Black Friday? There's a joke that said, you know, you know what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> and the, the answer was, just a little peace and quiet. And the response was, I know, but I just came from the mall. And I think they're out of that. <laughs> How many of us during this Christmas season I really try to seek that peace and quiet. And yet it's not something we can buy in the store. It's something we need to find in our hearts when we truly seek Jesus. Luke 2.27, this is Jesus saying, and this is not just Christmas, this is all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Church, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added to us. We can't overlook Jesus. We need to make him the focus. And many of us would say, well, I do love God. Does it show? And I go back to my relationship with my wife, Elaine. I can say all day long, I love her and she matters to me and she's the most important thing. But am I making time for her? Am I making sure she knows that? And it's the same way with my relationship with God. If I say this is important, I don't just make room for Jesus. He owns the room and I give him over the keys. So I had to ask you this Christmas are you overlooking Jesus? Is it time to really give him the room, not just make room for him? And the third reason why we don't have room, and I would really say this is kind of the heart of what we're talking about, is we're not overtook. A lot of people who claim the name of Jesus simply have never been overtaken by Jesus. What do I mean by that? When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear, things start to change. Maybe not all at once, and sometimes it happens that way, but definitely a change begins to happen. And you know one evidence for this is because you no longer belong to yourself. You'll no longer live for things for yourself. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But instead, sometimes, instead of being overtaken by Jesus, we talked about this last week, sometimes we like to compartmentalize Jesus. On Sunday at church, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my my Jesus thing. But then Monday through Friday at work, I'm gonna do my work thing. And then I'm gonna do my home thing. And the weekend, I'm gonna do my thing. And then come Sunday again, then I'll do the Jesus thing again. That's not how it's supposed to work. When we fully understand who Jesus is and and what He's done for us and the gift at Christmas that He's done for us, we're gonna be overtook. In fact, I would even go to say, we're not giving up anything to follow Jesus because there's nothing worth holding on to than his love and his grace. You know, Dr. James Dobson shares a story of a mom with three daughters who learned the importance of Christmas. I just want to read this to you because I thought this was very powerful. Mary, the name of the mom, was married once. She lived in a nice home. She never wanted anything. Well, until the day her husband decided... He didn't want to be a husband or a father. He packed his bags and left. She never heard from him again. He left Mary in a jam. She'd never worked outside the home before. Now she would have to work and provide for her children. She was grateful because she found a job cleaning houses, which meant she could be home with the girls and got home from school and still make enough money to provide for their needs. The girls were fed, they had clothes, well-worn hand-me-downs given by her employers but they were closed nevertheless she had no car because she couldn't afford it but she had a roof over her head it was difficult adjustment but she was making do the two eldest girls cindy and laura helped out as much as they could and never complained for that she was thankful the youngest girl named becky found happiness in her doll charlie She kept him wrapped in a blanket at all times. One day, with the coming of Christmas, Mary walked the girls to school and then walked on with little Becky and her doll Charlie to the first house where she would claim for the day. As they approached the front door, Mary saw a beautiful Christmas wreath hanging on it. They went inside, and there was a star on top. I've got to get to work now, sweetheart, so please don't touch anything. "'Okay, Mom,' Becky's reply came as she climbed up in the big easy chair and sat down with her doll, Charlie, admiring the presents and the ornaments and all the decorations in the beautiful house. Later that day, she went to another home to clean, and the same thing. Trees, ornaments, presents, the smell of Christmas all around. Up to that point, Becky never asked one question. She just admired all the colors, the smells, and the aura of Christmas. When they got home that night, however... Becky suddenly realized that she might be missing out on something. She looked up at her mom and said, Why does everyone have a tree and we don't? Why are there so many presents and we don't have any? What's going on with that? Mary knew the questions would come. Laura and Cindy looked up from the floor where they were playing and waited for the answers. Thus, Mary pulled Becky on her lap. You're a smart girl, sweetheart. I'll tell you all about it. His name was Jesus. He was born on Christmas Day. Mary told her kids how it all happened. Becky hugged Charlie close and said, Oh, poor baby. Was it cold in the stable? I wouldn't want to sleep in a stable, would you? I sure wish I could have been there. Down the street was a church, and Mary knew it. Every Christmas, they always walked, always had a huge nativity scene. So Mary decided she would take the girls for a walk. When they got to the church, they saw the manger with the straw and the ceramic figures, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, and, of course, the baby Jesus. Well, little Becky didn't want to leave. Finally, Mom said, come on, girls, it's cold. We need to get back home. But Becky wanted to stay. She was mesmerized by the whole thing. The next week was difficult for the family. It seemed everywhere they went, life was taunting them of what they could not have for Christmas. Mary went to Safeway to pick up the spaghetti they would have for Christmas dinner. Folks were standing in line with big turkeys and all the fixing, and Mary tried to embrace the reality of it all. But deep down, she was hurting so bad. Things were even more difficult for the girls. At school, everyone focused on Christmas. The gifts, the decorations, the parties. The girls felt like strangers. On the outside looking in, it didn't take long that Mary's sadness turned to bitterness. Every carol reminded her of what her husband had left, what she used to have. The older girls could see that this was happening with their mother, and they too began to grow bitter. But not little Becky. She seemed to be immune from it all. She rocked little Charlie in her arms and told him again and again the story of the baby Jesus. Becky would ask her sisters every day to take her to church to see the nativity scene. Of course they would take her, begrudgingly, reluctantly, and drag her home when she finished. Christmas morning came with a flurry of snow. Laura and Cindy woke up freezing, for the heat would sometimes not be on, and then it would be off. They raced to their mom's room, burrowed under their covers to warm themselves. Mary cuddled them both, kissed their foreheads, and said, "'Merry Christmas.'" Merry Christmas, Mama. I'm afraid there won't be many gifts for you, though, but go wake up your little sister and we'll open the few things that we have together. The girls bounded into the room of little Becky, but soon they dashed back in. She's not in her room, Mama. We can't find her. The mom jumped out of bed frantically and began to look for little Becky, but she was nowhere to be found. Mary began to pray, Dear God, please help me find her. I'm sorry for my selfishness. The gifts, the dinner I hoped to give, just forgive me and help me get my little Becky back. It was then that Mary noticed Charlie. He was carefully poised in a chair facing out the front window. Her mind began to race. Charlie was never out of Becky's sight. She noticed the blanket was gone as well. Becky always insisted that he be wrapped tightly in a blanket. Suddenly she knew. Stay here, girls. I'll be right back. She ran out the front door into the darkness. Still, the sun had not risen and snow was falling. She ran down the street until she could see the church. Slowly, tears released down her face as she caught sight of her daughter. The star was hanging over the manger, shining down, illuminating her with the manger. Her little Becky had climbed in and was covering the baby Jesus with her ratty old blanket. As Mary drew closer, she could hear Becky talking. You must be cold, Jesus. I knew the snow would be falling on you. This is Charlie's blanket. I wanted to give it to you. He has me to keep it warm. She looked up when she heard the footsteps, and she said, Hi, Mama. I was afraid that Jesus might have for- thought we forgot about him on Christmas. Mary lifted Becky out of the straw and held her tight tears streamed down her face. I did forget, honey. I did. Dear God, I'm so sorry that I forgot. She tenderly carried her daughter back to the house. A new mom walked through that door. With Christmas carols to cheer them up, they hung popcorn strings on Mary's tallest house plant. A star made out of foil they put on top. They just, they put just the few presents they had under the tree. But they knew the real purpose and the real focus was Jesus, and they never forgot it. I would contend that most of us who are listening to this recognize that Jesus is the main part of Christmas. But I just want to ask you a question this morning as we walk through this together Have you been overbooked? Have you been just pushing yourself in so many ways? for a lot of things that don't really matter have you overlooked Jesus? have you maybe got distracted by things and realized that Jesus needs to be first place not just in Christmas but throughout our life but the main thing I want you to get out of that story is I want to ask the question have you been overtaken by little baby Jesus? just like little Becky was with that childlike and if you haven't, let's do that today. Let's let's, let's say that to God together after we pray. Lord, I thank you for this story. I thank you for the lesson that we've learned from this Grinch who is not even part of the Christmas narrative, God, but we're the innkeeper that says there's no room. And God, I just want to confess to you the times when I haven't made room for you in my life, or when I've a little part for you over here but i haven't given you the keys for the whole world jesus i ask today that i would just give you everything god it's all yours anyway and when you came to earth on christmas you came not for us to make room for you you came that we would just give you our lives and if there's anyone listening to the sound of my voice that has yet to surrender themselves fully to you, I pray that this would be the time, this would be the Christmas, 2020, where they would make that commitment, no matter what. We wouldn't try to run our lives around you, God. We would run you around our life. And we would just say, God, it's all yours, take it. And God, that we would be that church on this Christmas. we ask all these things in the matchless name, of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at the Minerva's Convention Center. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, please check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. You can also check us out on Facebook and YouTube at Celebrate Yankton.